It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Roddy takes the snap. He'll look to the right side. He's throwing deep again. Going to the end zone. Up in the air. Touchdown Eskimos. Adarius Bowman. Hey, that's three. From Carpat and Finland. Jesse Pugujarvi. He takes the snap. And J.C. Sherritt goes over the top. The Eskimo defense has done it. Eskimos win the football game. It is short. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. CFL doubleheader tonight. BC just scoring a touchdown. They lead Montreal 16-10 late in the first half. Later on tonight, Saskatchewan against Calgary. Presenting the age-old question here in Edmonton. Who do you hate more and want to lose that game? (laughs) Also, the Blue Jays in Houston tonight. A game behind Baltimore in the American League East. We will keep you updated on all those activities. Hey, the Eskimos back at it on Saturday against the Ottawa Red Blacks. It'll be on 6.30, Chad, 3.30 for the pregame show. Kickoff at 5. The Eskimos have lost a couple in a row. The Red Blacks have lost a couple in a row after it looked like they were just going to cruise along this season. We'll have a player from each team. Neil King from the Green and Gold. Brad Sinopoli. What a story he is. Former Heck Crichton winner as a quarterback. Now one of the best receivers in the Canadian Football League. Oh, and this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. From 7 to 8 tonight, two gentlemen, so popular, they can't use their real names. They have to go by, uh, what do you call those things, Matthew? Uh, pseudonyms? Or is that only if you write a book under another name? They, they have to go by uh, other identities. Kind of like Bruce Jenner. Not, not exactly like Bruce Jenner, but they, they have to change their names. Uh, they go by bagged milk and jean shorts. And they are from Oilers Nation. We'll talk a little hockey. And we're going to do, this will be fun, the earliest fantasy hockey draft that I have ever participated in. August 4th. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Glad to be back. Thanks to Dave Campbell for filling in for me the last couple of nights. Dave Campbell flew to Ottawa today with Morley Scott as they're going to be broadcasting that game against the Red Blacks on Saturday night. Uh, a lot to get to tonight. We're going to talk about the Gretzky statue. I was inside Rogers' place today for, uh, the, I think I was there, was it early, it was late May or early June. I was there, I think it was early June, on, on an organized media tour. Today, uh, I went in along with uh, some guys from our engineering department here at 630 Chad because they, they were showing us some of the specific uh, uh, rooms and facilities that 630 Chad will be able to use. But to get there, I got to walk through uh, significant portions of Rogers Place. So, so that was pretty cool. We'll talk about that as we move along tonight. The studio producer this evening, 
is the fantastically overworked Matthew Panashik. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Reed. Why don't you ever go home? I have a tent outside. <laughs> I camp out here, you know that Why in the summer. Why not just sleep in the building? Well, I guess it's pretty warm out. <clears throat> it's beautiful out. It is a, uh, a, a nom de plume. Pen name? Is that what the word I was looking for? The nom de plume of these two gentlemen. The, the, the noms de plume. Is that a, a French plural? Uh, bag milk and jean shorts from Oilers Nation. That That is who uh, we'll be in. All right. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure where to begin. I have so much I want to talk to you tonight. So I'll just pick the Wayne Gretzky statue as a starting point. I was there this afternoon. And uh, I got to admit, it's a good thing I'm not a statue mover by profession because I thought it would, not that it didn't take a long time. But I, I just kind of thought you'd just drive up to it and you'd kind of lift it off with something and then they would drive away. Well, they had the, they had the guys there and uh, they, uh, the guys, the, the bronze smiths who helped make the statue back in 1989. So they had to cut a portion of it away and then they got this. And look, I am not a uh, construction type, handy type personal, but they had like this really long saw that they went underneath and it cut some bolts away under Gretzky's skates. And then they wrapped it in these uh, sort of uh, tarps. And then there's video of this, by the way, at 630shed.com. I took some video on my phone. And then they they put a, you know, a big uh, strap around it and lifted it away, lowered it onto its back, and then lifted it into the back of a pickup truck. So that's how you move a statue. So we were there for that uh, entire process. Interesting stuff. Stu Ballantyne is the Senior VP of Operations with the Oilers Entertainment Group. Well, I think the city has a great connection to, to Wayne Gretzky, and this statue has been commemorating you know, his, his uh, play here, and, and especially here at the Coliseum Rex Hall Place for many years. It's uh, what a great day to know that the, the statue is going to be downtown and going to continue to have people enjoy it and have their picture taken next to it. Well, yeah, give me, give me some of those details, because that's that's what a lot of people are now saying. Well, I still want to be able to go up to it. Where am I going to find it? Will it be behind glass? Can I all that stuff? Yeah, it will be out in the public space where people can come down. Same as it is here. It's just going to be in a downtown location, maybe a little bit more convenient, given that uh, people will be in the area every day. And so it'll be on 104 Avenue, uh, really close to the Ford Hall uh, exhibition space, and, and right for people are going to come in and out of the arena every day. And can you? Uh I know maybe you can't give me a lot of details yet, but there's some excitement here building around a, a Hall of Fame, or there's Hall of Fame that's going to be part of the new building too? Correct. So there's a number of pieces that are going to get unveiled, and so we want, you know, obviously when Wayne comes back in and, and is on display, to be all part of that, and we're just working on the dates for that, and so more information to come. All right, so there you go, Stu Ballantyne with the Oilers Entertainment Group, and I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to play that. Just to get the facts straight, Matthew, because you know what? It seems to me the one thing I've, I've learned in life. If there's one thing I've learned in life, well, one of maybe a handful of things I've been able to learn. People don't like change. And when they find out something is going to change, uh, there are often assumptions made about the result of that change. And sometimes they just believe anything they hear about that change. Uh, I have ha over the last couple of days, I have had people ask me, so are they getting rid of the Wayne Gretzky statue? N no. Oh, so now, and then I've been asked, so it's going downtown, and, but uh, people won't be able to go see it. It'll just be somewhere in a room where you won't be able to get to it. No, that, that is not true. The Wayne Gretzky statue is being moved. 
Uh, it is going to Cochrane, Alberta first of all places, and I'll tell you why in a minute or two. It is going to be set up, as Stu said, outside Rogers Place on 104th Avenue near Fort Hall, which is now what the Winter Garden is called. So right there near the main entrance to the rink, and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and as Stu said, details about this will be announced later. There's going to be an Oilers Hall of Fame, which is going to contain uh, memorabilia. Uh, I believe there are going to be brand new uh, Stanley Cup replicas in there. So uh, all sorts of cool stuff related to the Oilers history, the Oilers Hall of Fame. The Gretzky statue will be outside. You will go to a game. You will see it. You can meet somebody there. You can take your picture with it. You can show tourists from Alabama the Gretzky statue, all that kind of stuff. It's still kind of there, or it's it's still going to be there. There is nothing to worry about. And it absolutely should move to the new rink. Because that uh, here here's my here's my thing, Matthew. I said this briefly on Oilers now. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I get the sense most people are fine with it moving. But I still have some people say Gretzky played in the Coliseum. That's where they won the Stanley Cups. That's where the statue could be. Okay, if that's your argument, then the Stanley Cup banners should stay at Rexall Place, and uh, the, the retired numbers should stay at Rexall Place, and all and all that stuff. Don't bring anything over because it didn't actually. I mean, if, that's absurd. You would never do that. The statue has to be where the team plays. The Wayne Gretzky statue in Los Angeles is outside the Staples Center. The Magic Johnson statue in Los Angeles is outside the Staples Center. Do you know how many games those guys played in the Staples Center, Matthew? Exactly. The big goose egg. So anyway, that's where it should go. 780-496-0063. You can also text 63630. Now, the statue, by the way, well, here's some, here's some uh, fun facts about the statue. It was uh, erected on August 27, 1989. The sculptor was John Weaver. The uh, bronze smith was Don Begg at Studio West in Cochrane. It weighs 950 pounds. It is uh, 9 feet 2 inches from the ground plate to the top corner of the Stanley Cup. So Don Begg, the bronze smith 27 years ago, is now going to help get it ready and, and spruce it up for Rogers Place. And I, Don Begg was there today. He was one of the guys who helped take it down. And, and I asked him about the whole process of putting it up, uh, you know, getting it to Edmonton from Cochrane back in 1989. We weren't allowed, weren't to show anybody or tell anybody that we were doing it, and we didn't. So it was a big secret then. What was that like? Big secret. That was great. And when we brought it up here, there was I had there was people hiding in the dumpsters to see if they could get a picture of it to see what it was. <laughs> What's it been like just? having your company associated with such an iconic player and statue? Well, it's great. Um, we enjoyed doing the work. Uh, it was uh, nice to meet a lot of the Oilers uh, players at the time and uh, the management and, and everything, and it was great for hockey. And it was great to be part of that whole thing of what NHL is today. Did you ever get to meet Wayne? Yes. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. Um, I met him and he said, uh, uh, it's kind of spooky looking at a, a portrait of yourself. So tell us what happens to it now. Well, we'll, we'll take it off the base, take it back to Cochrane, we'll clean it all up and then bring it back for their new location. So how long will that take to polish it up a bit? We'll back in a couple of weeks. Oh, it's that quick, eh? Yes. Okay.
Uh, no, Cochrane. It's a little closer to Calgary than Edmonton, isn't it? Yeah. It's Dare I ask uh, who you cheer for? Both. <laughs> Good answer. There's the politically correct response from Don Begg, the bronze smith who uh, helped make the statue, and he's going to be helping to clean it up here for its new home at Rogers Place. Again, the full story video of some of the relocation process, or the start of it, I guess, on 630Ched.com. It's going to Rogers Place. I was in Rogers Place today. I'll tell you about that when we get back. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Josh Donaldson with a ground out to score Devin Travis and the Blue Jays take a quick 1-0 lead on the Astros. They're now through half an inning in Houston. 19-10 BC leading Montreal in the CFL. That one is late in the first half. Your scoreboard is courtesy of Crystal Glass for all your glass needs. You can call 310 Glass today. Thanks a lot for coming along for the ride this evening. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chat. It is 621. My name is Reed Wilkins. Uh JD says Gretzky had a statue of himself erected while he was still a player. That's crazy. That's from JD. Southside Rob says, hey, Reed, lots about the Gretzkys and the Oilers these days. Wayne's statue gets moved from Rexall and Keith gets hired as an assistant GM. Hard to believe that it was almost 28 years ago that Wayne Gretzky was traded, sold to uh, Los Angeles way back in 1988. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they put the statue of him up while he was playing for the Los Angeles Kings. They didn't wait till he retired. They, they, put, they put it up a year after he'd been gone. That, that, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm guessing J.D.'s probably uh, younger than me. Maybe didn't see Gretzky play. Maybe wasn't born yet when the trade happened. I don't know for sure. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't after he retired that statue went up. That, that was up there uh, throughout the latter half uh, of, of his career, for sure. 780-496-0063. You can also text us at 630-630. So, Matthew Panashik, I was in Rogers Place today. It is still very much a construction zone. Uh, I think something like 1,200 workers uh, in there on any given day. Finishing stuff, you definitely, I mean, here's the thing. The September 10th, there's going to be the, the public viewing, right? Where the public can go in. There's games starting a couple of weeks after that with Oil Kings and, uh, and Oilers preseason. It's, it's definitely not finished. It's not like it's just almost done and, you know, they're just kind of waiting for the games to start. There, there's still a lot of finishing to do. But I was last in there a couple months ago, and it's way more finished when it was then. So I mean, they're at they're at the point where a lot of details are being taken care of, or you know, stuff's being finished up. Um, so the the point of the the tour today was uh, they invited uh, some Ched folks, me and uh, our engineers, to just kind of look at the facilities we're going to have there for our broadcast. So I got to see the the room that Rob Brown and I are going to be in for overtime open line. We will not be uh, visible to the public, and we had been down on the uh, lower level, right? 
through the through the glass for people who had tickets to the lower bowl. They could walk by and see the Ched booth through the glass. It's not going to be the case. We'll have more of a, a studio-style setup uh, away from a public area, so that that's going to be a little different. Uh, I got I got to say this, Matthew. The best part about the setup we had at Rexall Place was being able to interact with the public and see people through that window. The worst part about the setup we had at Rexall Place was being able to see people and or interact with them through that window. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. I get what you're saying, Reed, that's for sure. Uh, so that'll be a little different. The, 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 the one thing that struck me about Rogers Place again, and I, and I, I kind of feel like I want to be careful about what I'm saying because I, you know, people always tend to get skeptical, and I don't want to act like I'm overhyping it. And then people are going to be like, "Oh, it's not as great as Reed said, right?" But, but I also, you know, hey, I, I, it's a privilege for me to be able to go in there ahead of time. So I, I, I want to tell you what I saw, and there are a lot of things I'm really impressed with. It, it just strikes me that it is, it is going to be an easier building to get around. The concourses are wider. Uh, it'll be more convenient for people to get into their seats. There will be more amenities around people. And I mean, anybody who has who sat in the upper level at, at Rexall Place, and hey, as as a fan, that's where I sat, and I still have that mentality. I, I know I'm lucky to do what I do, and when I was a kid, you, you went to one, maybe two games a year, and you often sat in the nosebleeds. So that's my that's my mentality as as a, a fan. I've never been part of a corporation or had corporate tickets or had enough money for seasons tickets or anything like that. I have the mentality of as a fan, I got to try to get a, a ticket I can afford and that might be the only game I go to for that year. That's how I was brought up and lived most of my adult life. If you're one of those people that you're going to go to a game or two a year, I think you're just going to feel more comfortable. You'll go up to an upper concourse. That'll be just for the people coming down into those higher up seats. Above you on the upper concourse, there will be washrooms. There will be more concessions, and it'll be less crowded. It'll, and I think it'll be less crowded anywhere. Every level of seating kind of has its own concourse and area, right? Now, you have the, the low seating. You have the opportunity to get served in your, your seat. Um, but it's just easier to get around. There's going to be TV screens everywhere. If you have to step away during the game for whatever reason, all that kind of stuff. Um, the scoreboard today was being tested. It was lowered down, so it was almost touching the ice. It's massive. I didn't see any actual video on it. It was going through kind of colors and test patterns. But it's massive, and it's a square, so it's equal viewing space to all sides. The people at the end aren't getting a, a sliver like they do uh, in some arenas. Uh, a, a lot of the stuff we saw today was media-oriented. Oriented. I, I know you're not as interested in that. That was more for, for us, but I, I think it's going to be a really cool place to work. Uh, I got to walk by the Oilers dressing room, didn't get to go in it. I peeked in it. Uh, similar situation where uh, you'll, they got a corridor with the stick racks on either side. There'll be the display case with the Stanley Cups at the end, and then they can go around that to the left or the right to get into the dressing room. And I got to say for the Edmonton Oil Kings, I, and again, I just got a brief glimpse kind of down a hallway. 
they're going to have the nicest dressing room in Major Junior Hockey. I, I can't see anybody topping it. Their digs look pretty cool as well. All right. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. More hockey talk a little bit later on, but we want to bring in an Edmonton kid, now an Edmonton Eskimo, part of that defense that's trying to turn it around, Neil King, when we get back. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Connor McDavid will play for Team North America at the upcoming World Cup of Hockey in Toronto. That is about six weeks away. Of course, the uh, Penticton Young Stars Tournament, also about six weeks away. 6.30, Chad will once again be bringing you the Oilers games from that tournament. Of course, we bring you each and every Edmonton Eskimos game here on 6.30, Chad. They're hitting the road for only the second time this season. They play at Ottawa on Saturday as we bring in Eskimos safety Neil King. Neil, you're on with Reed Wilkins. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, man? Good, my man. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, it, it's good to talk to you again, Neil. And uh, there, there's a lot of stuff I want to ask you about you, you being in Edmonton and, and playing for the Eskimos because you were so excited the day I interviewed you in the offseason. <laughs> but I decided to get the the downer stuff out of the way right off the top. Uh, look, you guys are 2-3. and three. And and there there have been some hard times, obviously, stopping the other team's passing game. You're playing safety. Tell fans here, from your perspective, what what's going on back there in the secondary? Uh, we're we're just really kind of putting all the pieces together, uh, you know, game by game. Uh, we got we do we do have some young guys. We got some vets, so we're really trying to to understand the defense and and make sure that what we're seeing as a defense and as a secondary is all the same. Um, a lot of it comes down to uh, just communication, you know, uh, pre-snap, post-snap, and even within uh, throughout the course of the play. Um, so it's things that we're, we are growing. We are getting better every week. It's things that we're, uh, we're, we're working on on a daily basis, things that uh, we've made mistakes that we're, we're continually growing with, and uh, we're fixing on a week-by-week basis. So um, it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're just all working on the process right now. Um, it's not a five-game season. Uh, you know, it's uh, we, we got a lot of football ahead of us, and uh, we got a good group of guys and uh, and good coaching staff. So, you know, we're we're just going to keep grinding and keep working at it. And uh, you know, we'll uh, we're, we're getting into we're going to be playing better football. You know, down uh, you know game by game. Yeah, you, you said that you want to make sure what everybody is seeing is the same. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, certainly a, a defense and a coverage is going to be called on every play. Um, so I, I guess our guys, not not every guy is maybe reading the adjustment the same way that needs to be made once you see the other team's formation. Well, once uh, you know every every play call that comes in uh, separately, it you know changes your responsibilities and changes um, you know your job based on the play call. So understanding uh, the depth of the play call, what we're getting into is uh, understanding like even your your alignments pre-snap. When you see certain routes uh, go go underneath or quick outs, you got to push and communicate to the person next to you so that your your zones are equally expanding and contracting with the routes and within the route combinations, right? So it it, it is kind of one of those things with uh, with with new people in in, in positions uh, and with injuries that have come through. It's uh, you, you just got to make sure everyone um, is is seeing the right stuff and is communicating throughout the course of the play based on what the offense is showing and based on what they're doing pre and post snap. 
Right. Well, and and I'm, I, I that's that's a, that's an interesting explanation to me. And and I think Neil um, and you know I talked to the fans. Dave Campbell does the show after the game, and I think the, a lot of the frustration was after the Hamilton game. You know, obviously the 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 lead slipping away, but a lot of people were saying, well, Hamilton was doing this the same thing. It seemed every you know Tasker was coming across the formation squirting into the middle there. Winnipeg did a lot of short, quick stuff. So I guess maybe, you know, that, that recognition, that adjustment is where you guys have got to pick it up a little bit. If, if, if that's, you know, if that's accurate, what I was seeing. Well, and, you know, that's just one, one of the things that we're working on for sure. And, you know, like I said, there's uh, with, with, with new people coming in, uh, understanding what offenses are able, are capable of doing and, and how they, you know, will manipulate people to get them opening in certain positions. Right. So, um, it's just it's it's thing that you just got to keep working at, got to keep grinding at, it. and it's not going to happen, you know, as much as you want it to happen, you know, overnight. It's it's one of those things that you got to continually grind at and continually work at because uh, offenses are very good in this league, and it's it's tough to stop offenses. So you got to make sure that you're on every single play, and everyone is working as as one complete unit. And uh, you know, it's something that we we're just continually working at and can in, and getting better at every single day and every single practice. Let me ask. Let me ask you this, and, and maybe this is a, a tough one to answer. And I know you weren't here last year um, for Chris Jones, but you've been playing football for a long time. I mean, how many different defensive philosophies are there? I mean, we've seen, and in my mind, Mike Benavides maybe not blitz as much as Chris Jones did when it comes to calling a defense. How, how many? How many sort of defensive philosophies are there where you say this is the base of what we do, and then everything else is a variation off that? Well, every coach has his own philosophy. And uh, throughout the course of the season, and, you know, the quicker you get into it, the better is understanding where that coach wants to go with uh, with progressing throughout the course of the season with the defense, right? Um, so it's, every coach really has his own way of doing it. And uh, you've you got to step into the mind of the coach, and all everyone just kind of has, has to step into that, uh, into that picture and, and, you know, try and uh, – Get it, get a hold of it as fast as you can, as quick as you can. Yeah, how much? What sort of communication goes on during a game between Benavides and 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 some of the individual guys? I mean, is it well, after every series talking, or? Yeah, Coach Benavides, Coach Miles, uh, the whole coach staff. We're we're talking after every series. He comes over, he lets us know what he's seeing, what we're seeing, um, up from the eyes up top, and and everything like that. It's it's a full group effort uh, throughout the course of a football game. Yeah. Neil King joining us, safety for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, they are traveling to Ottawa for their next game on Saturday against the Red Blacks. They played a great game to start the season at the end of June, and Ottawa wound up sneaking that one out in uh, in overtime. Uh, it looks like uh, Burris is going to be the quarterback. They've had to use all three guys because of uh, because of injuries this season. Tell us a little bit about the the auto offense. I mean, I, I look at it and say they have three or four receivers that that, that can hurt you. Uh, you're you've been down on the field and watching film. What do you see from Ottawa? Yeah, they're 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 a really good offense. Um, you know, they're efficient in what they do. Uh, like you said, they have a good group of receivers. Uh, they got a good running game. Uh, the coach puts players in the right positions uh and you know henry versus quarterback so a, a veteran guy that's seen everything so um we've just had we've had a busy week just kind of in, in the film room prepping we've had a great week of practice uh we've got, got a good game plan coming into this game um so this is uh you know it's, it's going to be a good uh dog fight but it's uh you know it's going to be a great game all right uh neil when we talked when you signed and that interview stands out to me because i don't know if i've ever heard a guy so happy uh, you're you're an Edmontonian. Your brother's been an Eskimo for several years. 
Um, you, you played for, uh, was it the Edmonton Huskies you played for? Wildcats. You were a Wildcat, a 50-50, and I forgot the team. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you, you were a, a Wildcat. How has it been being uh, an Eskimo? Has it lived up to what you thought it would be? Uh, that and more. Uh, it really has. Um, just to be back in this city uh, is, is something that I've always, I've always dreamed of and always kind of had a plan to, to be back here. So uh, to, to be able to be in this position and represent the city and every time, you know, stepping onto that field, putting on that jersey, putting on that helmet, it really does mean uh, a lot to me. So um, I'm trying to, you know, just play, play as hard as I can, you know, give it everything I got. And, you know, we have a really good group group of players in the locker room and great coaching staff. So this has made it almost all, all that much more better. Uh, what kind of community stuff uh, did you do in the off season? And I guess you do a little bit during the season as well. Uh, yeah, no, our, our uh, community relations does a great job um, getting us really everywhere. Um, there's a, there's a good group of us that stay here in the off season. Uh, they, you know, that do all sorts of appearances all across the city and outside of the city. Um, you know, it's uh, during during the, the season you get you get some here and there, which are which are always good. So they do a great job uh, all throughout the community. We got, like I said, a good group. My, myself, my brother, Shaw. There's a whole whole group of guys that stay here in the off season that are, are very involved in the community. So it's been really uh, it's been really great. What, what when you get to interact with with uh, with school kids and they ask you about uh, football or or what you do or maybe they've seen you on TV but maybe aren't quite old enough to under to understand the game in in detail yet what 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 do you say to those kids? Uh, just to, you know keep keep your dreams high keep working hard. It's one of the biggest things I, I like to preach to kids is just kind of work ethic and you know if if, if you work hard at whatever it is that you do you know and you stay committed and and you know good things will happen. So that, that's kind of one of the biggest things that I've always kind of uh, stayed focused on for me is just, you know, having that good work ethic, showing up to work and doing a lot of the extra things that uh, that I felt like has put me ahead and, and put me into this position. So it's always good to, to spread spread the word and kind of give encouraging words and, and, uh, and talk to the young, young and upcoming uh, group of kids coming up. Uh, what's it like having your brother as a teammate? Well, it's just like old times, man. It's awesome <laughs> just to have, uh, you know, both of us back in the locker room. It's it's, it's awesome, man. Just to be playing football with him again is is something that uh, we both, both of us, have always looked forward to. Um, so I'm just really enjoying this moment and just enjoying this time, and uh, you know, just just having a blast with it. But you guys aren't uh, you probably not on the field a lot together, are you? Uh, we, we're on punt, so on we'll punts, fly okay. down on punt together, yeah. Okay, well, I, that's yeah. got to be fun for you guys and, and fun for your parents and extended family and, and friends to be uh, be watching that as well. Well, Neil, I, I appreciate you talking about the the defense and, and and being open about some of the things you guys are working on because I know the, f- the fans are hoping that. And, and, and look, I thought the second half again. I guess I should wrap it up. The, the the second half against Winnipeg to me, for the most part, uh, seemed better than the previous <clears throat> four and a half quarters against Winnipeg and Hamilton. Yeah, it was, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. We, as a team, we're still looking to put together a full four quarters, full sixty minutes. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's a team effort. Every win and every loss. So there's uh, there's multiple things that we're, everyone's working on on a week to week basis. But uh, you know, we're it's, we've got to we've got to come on the game. We've got to play hard, and uh, we've got to we've got to start fast. It's kind of one of the big things we've been preaching all year. So. Um, yeah, like I said, second half was a lot better. We defense stiffens up, and we just got to make sure that we uh, we know we can execute and, and play. That's one of the biggest things. Neil, uh, g- glad to hear your enthusiasm about being an Eskimo as well and representing Edmonton. Really appreciate your time on Inside Sports. I hope we can do this again later in the season. Absolutely, looking forward to it. That Thank is you. Neil.
Thanks a lot, Neil. That is Neil King checking in tonight. Safety for uh, your Edmonton Eskimos, a team that to me is surprisingly two and three. I didn't see that record coming, especially with four of their first five at home. And as much as the offense has been uh, sputtery over the last six quarters, uh, I, I still think the defense has been more of a liability. And I think offenses kind of you know go through those phases sometimes. You're not going to get a touchdown every drive. The the defense and I hate to use this word. The defense at times over the last couple of weeks has looked hopeless at times. Um, certainly, the second half against Winnipeg was better. They they were in a big hole where they basically needed to shut out the Bombers to have a chance to win, and that's pretty hard to get a shutout in a half. Um, like he said, they keep working. There appears to be, from what he said and other interviews you hear, there there appears to be some issues with the players interpreting what they're supposed to do once they see what the offense is going to do. I, I mean, you don't know the offensive play, but the formation and the pre-snap movement suggests certain things might happen or ways they've been attacking you earlier in the games out of those formations. And it seems to me... Not everybody in the secondary is interpreting that the same way. All it takes is one or two guys to drop into the wrong position or pick up the wrong guy, and you get picked apart like the secondary has been. Um, do I think the Eskimos secondary is as physically talented as it has been in recent years? No, I don't. I think Grimes going to the NFL and Ojo getting hurt are huge losses. Um so, so right there, those are hard guys to replace from a physical level. But, but, I, but I do think that the athletes they have right now think that we are good enough to do this if we start gelling together a little bit better. Alan is on the open line at 780-496-0063. Hey, Alan. Hey, how's it going, Reed? I'm doing great. What's on your mind? Well, maybe a little off topic here, but uh, we were just talking to me and my young apprentice, Darren, here about how it seems like there's so much showboating going on. Like after one tackle's made or after a small play is made, you got these guys showboating a bunch. And we were, we were thinking, uh, does that have any effect on the game? You know, maybe they should be putting a bit more energy into wanting to maybe win the game instead of showboating for doing your job and making a tackle. What do you think about that? Now, are you talking about the Eskimos or football yeah, in general? Well, the Eskimos, like especially the CFL mostly, but, you know, I've been at quite a few of their games and, you know, you make a small tackle and they're showboating around and dancing and celebrating. And, you know, I just think it's kind of detracts from the focus of what they should be doing. Yeah, I, well, I think that's I think that's a good question, Alan. And I, I, here's the thing. I don't know if there's a black and white answer to that. I mean, the Eskimos, uh, I, I'm one where uh, I don't, I, I certainly, I think teammates should, I mean, when I, when I was a kid, you high-fived somebody. That's probably not cool anymore, right? But I think if a teammate makes a good play, you should acknowledge it and try to build energy that way. The Eskimos, uh, was it last year or two years ago, they started doing those somersaults after they get a sack. I could do without that, but it's kind of become a thing for that for them, and they did it last year, when and, the, and they won a lot. Um, I, I think, Alan, I, I think sometimes they do it because they know they've struggled and then when they do make a play they try to create some energy that way now if then the next so if you make one good play to break up a pass and then the next play you give up a 20 yard gain you're right to you and uh, you say your friend's name was Darren and 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 to me sitting in the stands you're going to look silly 
right? Uh, so it's this so much momentum has gone the wrong way for the Eskimos defense. All the reactions kind of look off kilter. Uh, here's here's the thing, and we used to, Alan. If you ever listen to Oilers broadcast on this station, Rob Brown and I used to have the same debates with fans about Justin Schultz and Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall would get criticized for having bad body language. Justin Schultz would get criticized because he looked like he didn't care because he wouldn't react. So the Eskimos defense is Alan right now. They are losing. So it, everything they do looks like it's the wrong thing to do. In general, as as a fan, could I do without some of these celebrations sometimes? Yes, I could. That's my long answer, I guess. Well, you know what? I agree with you. All right, buddy. Enjoy the game Saturday. We got it for you here on Chet. Right on. Thanks, bud. Uh, that is Alan with, with an interesting question. And I did notice, I mean, Marcel Young, who, let's face it, has, it, 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 okay, look, they won the championship last year. I thought Marcel Young was the weakest link in the Eskimos secondary. He has had a tough time this year. He has made good plays. I know there was a pass breakup against Winnipeg, and he got up and he really went nuts with the celebration. Do I think he's trying to to showboat in terms of a sense of, I'm going to rub it in the other team's face? I don't think so. I think Marcel is tr- Young is trying to say, like, hey, guys, I made a play. I'm getting my energy back here. Uh, you can rely on me. I think that's what he is doing in that situation. Um, if the Eskimos were blowing somebody out and they sacked the quarterback and they kept doing their somersaults, that, that might be a little bit of showboating. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm also used to it, and I know ever since I was listening to John Short as an 8-year-old, fans would call in with similar questions to what Alan had. It's one of those debates that go, that uh, certainly goes on. It is 23-10, BC taking it to Montreal here in the uh, third quarter, though I believe they just missed a, or was that a punt? They just missed a field goal. So they didn't quite extend the lead as much as they were hoping. Uh, 6.51. My next guests are uh, standing by. I'll, uh, I'll tee them up when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 6.30 Chet. Oh, yeah, so 23-10, the Lions uh, leading the Alouettes. Five minutes left in the third quarter. They'll uh, Montreal down in the red zone. Montreal, as they've uh, started doing once a year, I think they did it against the Eskimos last season, wearing white at home, which uh, usually doesn't happen in the uh, Canadian Football League. The Blue Jays lead the Astros 1-0 in the bottom of the third. Uh, so what, what do we have, just quickly on this topic, Matthew? We have the NHL, you now wear your color jersey at home. Though when I was a kid, it was the white jersey at home. And when my dad was a kid, it was the dark jersey at home. The uh, CFL is almost almost always your dark jersey at home, yeah. right? Baseball has now become just pretty much whatever. You can even wear the same color as the other team. I might as well bring you guys in here now. From Oilers Nation, it's uh, the legends themselves. Uh, I had an intro song for you guys. I'll play it after the news. Uh, Bag Milk and Jean Shorts. Your second favorite bloggers. Yeah, yeah we well, are. No, no. Now you're my favorite. <laughs> but you're like a different style of blogger than Matt and Ryan. That's fair. That's fair. Far more accurate. I assume you're talking about... Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> baseball, you pretty much... Oh, put the headphones on so you can hear Matthew oh, when he okay. talks, by the way. And you're going to have need that for the music, too. Uh, this is how organized I am. So now baseball, you just wear... Like, it used to be white at home, and then teams had... Thir- and now you watch games, and it's like, yeah, they're both wearing blue. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Uh, basketball is white at home. 
Now, the NFL is, and Matthew's a huge NFL fan, you got the Cowboys wear white at home, right? Sometimes dark. It depends on what game it is, right? It depends. Well, right. They might wear through. But, but some teams will wear, like, isn't it Miami wears white at home unless it's a primetime game, then they wear blue, and San Diego wears white at home in September and October when it's warmer. Like, the teams have all these different <laughs> it's combinations. Weird. And the Bengals, don't get me started on your Bengals. <laughs> they have three jerseys. They have a white, uh, a black, and then an orange, special orange jersey they usually wear during Halloween season. Halloween season. Yep. Yeah, I didn't realize it was an entire season. <laughs> well, well there's usually season. a month of October, I should <laughs> the say. The so. month of October is now Halloween. <laughs> it does happen. The Halloween treats are going to be out yeah. right after Labor Day. Buy candy that you won't possibly be able to resist eating for the next six weeks. I like that in the NBA. They're now wearing those like little mankini t-shirts. Yeah. I, I don't mind those, actually, the, the, the t-shirt look. The Cavs wore those, right? Yeah. And they I w- think they should cut the shorts up about seven, eight inches like Aussie Rules football. <laughs> Show more thigh, I think. Well, yeah, you've seen the shorts from the 80s. And of then course. wasn't it the Fab Five, the Michigan guys, that started wearing yeah, the, yeah, basically yeah. the sweatpants shorts? Yeah. It's like the sock was halfway up your leg, and they were halfway up your uh, calf, and the shorts were just below the knee, so there was like two inches of skin exposed. J- just enough showing, just enough leg showing. So they could fall. <laughs> of course. First jean shorts. Talks about <laughs> leg showing. And what are they doing in the AHL this year? They're doing it like half and half, aren't they? Well, like and a... when I covered the AJ, they did that. After oh, really? the All-Star game, they would wear dark at home. So it was about okay. a third, which I like. Which yeah. I like. I mean, yeah, switch it up a little bit. Not that the AJHL uniforms are necessarily the most creative. Yeah. But the Fort McMurray Oil Barons, when I covered the, the league, always their jerseys were always modeled after the St. Louis Blues. So then right. they would just put the, the Oil Barons jersey on the uh, logo on the front. All right. Uh, more with the guys from Oilers Nation after the 7 o'clock news. It's going to be fun. We're doing a fantasy draft on August 4th for the upcoming season. It's going to be great. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.